HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jay McInerney, author, columnist, and overall passionate wine guy. We'll talk to Jay about wine, books, culture, and more. We'll also taste an Austrian Riesling for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Jay McInerney is the critically acclaimed author of 13 books. Am I right on that, 13? That sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> 13 books, including Bright Lights, Big City, Story of My Life, Brightness Falls, and The Good Life. He has written three wine books, Bacchus and Me, A Hedonist in the Cellar, and The Juice. Jay is currently the wine columnist for Town & Country Magazine a correspondent for online site Prince Street. Still doing that, right? Yeah, the, okay. uh, yeah, the podcast. The uh, podcast. Live, live from Prince Street. Right. Yep. Um, he was previously the wine critic for the Wall Street Journal and House and Garden Magazine. His eighth novel, Bright Precious Days, was released about a year ago this month, and it became available in paperback in the past few months. So look out for Bright Precious Days. Is that my eighth, really? Huh. Ninth. Ninth. <laughs> Maybe ninth. I don't, I don't know. I should really I should really get this straight. <laughs> yeah. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. Um, I want to, you know, of course to me and of course to our audience, you're one of the more prolific authors of a generation. I give you that compliment. I want to focus on your recent past and the present. So basically what I'm saying is I want to talk to the wine Jay. Yeah. But the novelist Jay is, you know, so wherever he'll, he'll, that. He, he, but I'm going to probe you on yeah, he'll, he'll, he He's in the studio. Yeah, he's we, in the studio. We for won't sure. necessarily hear and, from him. And it'll him. work its way yeah. in. So to get things started, I usually try to get a little background on our guests. Uh -huh. To me, the obvious question to get everything started is when you first got into wine. Yeah. But the second part of the question is, when did you start seriously writing and covering wine? Because we knew you were a writer. So yeah. give us some kind of chronological. Well, when, I was, um, uh, when I was writing my first novel, um, 
I was I was also I was in Syracuse, New York. Uh, We're talking mid eighties or uh, yeah, sort of. Um, let's say you know I wrote Bright Lights Big City in nineteen eighty three and um, eighty two eighty three. I was I was at Syracuse University uh, studying with Raymond Carver and Tobias Wolf, two of the great short story writers um, of our times. And um, you know I mean it was really fortunate to to have both of those guys in the same place. Um, although you know. Syracuse wasn't <laughs> wasn't exactly the garden spot of America, no. um, so I had a fellowship there. Um, you know, I had some I had a stipend, but it wasn't you know it wasn't quite enough to live on. And so I I, I got a job at um, a place called the Westcott Cordial Shop, which in was Syracuse which, in Syracuse. Which um, <laughs> cordial I, I, shop? Yeah, I guess you would say <laughs> it was a wine slash liquor store. Um, although uh, there were a fair amount of our sales were. Um, you know, uh, uh, industrially for, uh, fortified grape juice, uh, you know, like uh, MD, wild, wild Irish right. Rose in MD 2020. 2020. So, yeah, there was, there, there was, that was about 40% that of our business. That paid the rent probably. Yeah. yeah. But the, but the, um, the owner was a, was a Princeton grad and a, and a wine enthusiast. And, and he, and so number one, he had a very good wine library in, in the store, uh, which I dipped into, um, and uh, and he also had he had a shelf of kind of premium wines that that someone would occasionally dust off and uh, buy. In fact, I was working at the um, at the store um, the day that I get the phone call saying that Bright Lights Big City was going to be published. Wow. Uh, and so I, uh, I I did dust off one of the bottles there, as I recall, it was a. Uh, it's a '78 Smith Haute Lafitte. Um, I just I like the not a great vintage here, but no, a good wine. But I, but I, I like the name and I like the label. You know, and it had, that, it had this you know very cool sort of blue and yellow right. label um, uh, with a kind of shield. And, and on the and the fact that the name Lafitte was part of it was was also very uh, alluring. But um, um, but it, it but, but even before then i would every night i would take home a, a bottle that was the tradition among the clerks we felt that we were underpaid enough that we could take home a you bottle of yugoslavian de- chardonnay back. you were deemed a bottle yeah. or you walked it out no, we just walked it out okay. you know i mean i'm not sure i ever asked permission okay. but 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 you know this is back in the days when there actually was a yugoslavia and and i remember right. there was a yugoslavian <laughs> chardonnay there was a yugoslavian cabernet and eventually i worked my way all the way up to this sort of 6 dollar bottle of, of of kava you know the frejene right. i believe uh, but but I think you know it's eight dollars now yeah, yeah. but it, but you know it was actually a pretty good way to to develop a palate you know because you know um it was like starting at the bottom of mount everest instead of being helicoptered to the big base good camp point. you know um you know i know a lot of guys who you know who started with like you know cult cabernets and never right. ne- never really tasted right they don't have <laughs> they, the foundation they never tasted the you know the sort right. of four dollar bottle of so, Sylvaner but I right. but I did and um uh, but I really started to develop an enthusiasm then um, for wine and 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 of course as my my novel um, as I get the first check from my novel now it wasn't that big but then it, but then the novel pretty quickly sold to the movies and. So on and so I started, you know, improving my um, uh, um, my my drinking and um, and and so that that interest and passion stayed yeah, with you from was, the store. And, and, like and, this is good, let's do more. Yeah, and and, and um, the book was published in 1984, uh, and 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 so along with a bit of a windfall of cash. Um, in 1985, the 1982 Bordeaux vintage was released in the marketplace. That, and, that was like Parker's and, Bar Mitzvah. Yeah, and I was, um, you know, I had just become aware of, of, of Robert Parker and, uh, and and subscribed to his newsletter. And um, and, and and so I, I actually bought bought 82 Bordeaux. And at the same time, I, I went to England for the publication of the book where I met Julian Barnes, the novelist. Who was um, he? Was probably a year or two ahead of me in terms of his own enthusiasm and knowledge, but not way ahead. But not way ahead. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like when you're playing tennis, you want to play with somebody that's, right. that, that's better than you, but you know, but but right. but isn't John McEnroe? You right. know, because um, he wouldn't and, step and, on the court. With yeah. <laughs> and um, so you know, Julian, I'll actually never forget. He invited me over to um, his his house. I had a, a night free during my book tour, and, and we met at a party and. 
He invited me over, and he served me in 1962 and in 1967 uh, Chateau Neuf de Pop from, uh, from Jaboulet. Were uh, you aware of Rhone wines? Le Cedra uh, was was the was the the, the uh, vineyard, and um, um, I was. I mean, but I remember in college I used to buy Chateauneuf de Pop for my dates because it, it sounded good. It was very <laughs> it was very robust and it wasn't too expensive. Uh, right. But I don't. I, but I, I I sort of assumed because you know because I liked it in college I sort of assumed that it probably wasn't very good you know now that I was developing some knowledge and when I had these two you know then like 20 year old shot enough to pubs I was, I was blown too. I was blown away yeah. by how complex they were and 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 this sort of you know um, uh, this started a wine relationship and, uh, and 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 also you know I think in many ways was the was the beginning of my uh, my the, my second phase of connoisseurship, and I uh, think in one of your columns articles, you talk about sort of a pen pal writing relationship. Yeah, we which, uh, where you compared notes and well, the we, evolution of your taste. Our our friendship ab uh, coincided with the invention of the fax machine. So oh, that's right. We started faxing each other back and forth, and, and along with was the, it that rolly fax yeah, or the yeah, flat paper the, one? Well, now for now for many years it was yeah it was the waxy rolly <laughs> God, grayish uh, paper that you know yeah that smudged and right. Um, but but carcinogenic. We, we 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 wrote about books and gossip and so on but we also we also send each other wine notes virtually every every morning and uh so i mean i guess in some ways that was the start of my wine writing career so the the interest in wine the ascent started when the your first book came out you know which really yeah. silly expression put you on the map but so let's progress let's get to the wine thing you continued to write more books but when did you first get into wine writing, which was, I guess, a second vocation, because you were a yeah. novelist. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, it was about 10 years later. Uh, in 19, late 1995, I believe, my friend Dominique Browning, who I knew from the literary world, she used to work at Esquire and Newsweek, and uh, she took over the editorship of House and Garden magazine, um, well, one of its, you know, second or third incarnation. Um, and she, you know, sort of wisely felt that the kind of people who were interested in decorating and gardening and so on were also interested in food and wine. And uh, so she decided to, she wanted a wine column. And she knew, um, as, as a friend who had been to my apartment and been, you know, been out to dinner with me, she knew that I was very pa passionate and enthusiastic about wine. And when she started, um, you know, when she started reading you know, the wine writing current at the time, uh, honestly, there wasn't much uh, worth reading. Uh, I mean, par the par magazines, Parker, right? Parker's very informative, but he's, he's not much of a writer. And, uh, um, you know, the wine spectators, you know, kind of very... Decanter. Uh, and very travel-y and, and, right. and technical. And, you know, but, but you know, as, as someone who is a, really a connoisseur of, of writing, Do Dominique didn't find anything out there that that, that she thought was, was interesting. And... and and she called me up and said, have you ever considered writing about wine? And, I, and my first response was, you know, look, I love wine, but I just, I don't, there's no way I know enough about it to be writing about it. And she felt that, you know, she felt that some of the best teaching was done by people who are just, you know, a few chapters ahead of the, of the textbook uh, from the students. And, and she said, why don't you just write about it from the point of view of someone who's learning, someone who, you know, you know, may not know everything there is to know about wine. And, you know, and, and indeed in my first, in my very first column, um, um, which was, which was about, um, California Chardonnay, I, I, I admitted number one, that I didn't, uh, I was not much of a fan of California Chardonnay. And number two, I still didn't really understand what malolactic fermentation was. And, uh, Technical term. I kind of, but you know, what, what finally encouraged me or what she encouraged me, she said, you know, look, you know, as a novelist, you're 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 good at telling stories. You're good at um, at writing about people. And she said, and you're also good at metaphor and simile. And she and, and indeed, I think that um, you know, I, I decided early on that I wanted to number one tell the stories of the characters behind the wines, and number two, 
to try to come up with the equivalence of the aesthetic experience of tasting wine. And to my... to Wait, my, explain that to me. Well, the equivalence of the taste... What did you mean? Well, what I mean is there are several ways of describing the experience of tasting a wine. And one of them is... Literally the descriptor thing. Well, literally, yeah. Lit, you know, there's, horse, there's the literal way. Graphite. Which I find, I mean... You know, I know what it means to say that coat roti tastes like raspberry and bacon, but at the same time, it sounds kind of crazy to somebody who hasn't tasted coat roti. Um, um, I and and honestly, I think that some of these descriptors are are just hackneyed and uh, and kind of plugged in automatically. You know, white I'm, hibiscus I, flowers. Know, yeah, and you know, Chablis is always going to taste like oyster shells and. Right. and uh, I, 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 Minerality. So, well, you know, I wanted to find. I wanted to find something that was. I, I just felt like metaphor and simile often do better. I mean, you know, w- one of my earliest descriptors for you know Petite Syrah was was that it was it was much like a Chevrolet Suburban, you know, um, as opposed to you know, I mean, um, you know, a, <clears throat> a Romanée Saint Vivant might be more like a Ferrari, you know. I mean, but um, I, I sort of. I, I felt like because I was lacking in, for instance, horticultural knowledge, I don't know anything about flowers. So all of this school of English wine, wine writing that compares the the bouquet of of of, of wines to uh, to f- uh, floral scents was right. was was completely beyond my capabilities, and frankly, not of much interest to me as a reader and wine drinker. So I, I just I just tried to sort of branch out in my own. In when you looked fashion. around, was anyone doing that? I mean, everybody not was really, more technical and not really at the time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so that was a fun I mean, thing. Hap- That's what Dominique was looking happily, for. Happily, wine writing is you know has evolved a great deal since then. But, yeah, I want to. We'll, but at the we'll, time, we'll I don't think you know. I mean, honestly, it was mostly you had the sort of English kind of um, <laughs> you know the sort of floral aroma uh, school of wine writing, and then you had the. Um, the American sort of highly technical focus on winemaking technique and uh, uh, you know barrels and and and, and so on and, and I just thought there was room for something else you know yeah that, that was good so in the next ten years you do the column for what four or five years but within the next ten years you write a couple of books you you bring all your essays well and I I published. Uh, I actually uh, Bacchus about, and me. about four years into this gig, um, I was approached by a small press, and um, they asked if I would consider collecting these columns in a book. And I then went to my publisher, Alfred A. Knopf, uh, my editor Gary Fiskejohn, and I said, uh, "Who was an old friend?" Yeah, and I said. Uh, um, is this okay, or do you guys want to <laughs> publish this? And they just looked at me like I was crazy. Right. And so, indeed, I was. I, I uh, um, signed a little contract with this uh, with this small press, Lions Press, and um, um, and the book ended up selling forty thousand copies I, I, in in hardcover, which was. Kind I of remember when it came out, because um, and and yeah, um, it was. Um, I don't know. I I mean, I do think. I do think you know that early writing of mine um, had an impact and was was somewhat influential and um, and, it, and it was quite extraordinary to me that there was um, you know that that there was this market and this interest out there. Um, uh, of course, subsequently, my my publisher uh, Knopf has decided to publish my one books, uh, but they were they were they were as surprised as as I was. Uh, so five six years later, you write a second wine book. Yes. In the cellar. in the cellar. Similar format, yeah. essays and columns yeah. and all that. And um, it was, I, I don't know, I you know, I, I'm very, very proud of those books. It never occurred to me that I would be be a wine writer. Um, the, well, I, of, of course, you know, you, you have to keep going in a sense because I, as much as, um, as much as I am proud of Bacchus and me, as it's a little outdated now, um, you know. It was a, right. But but one of the things that that um, one of the things that I did in that book was I was one of the one of the first people to write about what was happening in Napa and Sonoma in 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 the, in the 90s. Um, 
you know, I, I actually grew up. Um, Which is when the cult thing yeah. really started to blow up, right? Yeah. As an East Coast person and as somebody who, you know, had friends in England, I, I was very much a Francophile. So when Dominique Browning hired me to write uh, for House and Garden, she said, you're going to have to, you're, you're really going to have to buff up on California wines pretty quickly. And uh, Why? I mean, she felt there had to be a domestic slant? Uh, not slant, but 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 she felt, and also the food editor of House and Garden, uh, Laura Zerubin, felt that you know that we couldn't we couldn't totally slight California right. wines. It had to and, be uh, part of the. And so I had a very early before I even started. Uh, I I was sent uh, out to Napa and Sonoma by um, Laura Zerubin. Arranged a trip. Uh, one of the first people, the very first person I visited was Helen Turley. Uh, the, who Robert Parker, I believe, dubbed the wine goddess. Um, Napa royalty. But uh, Hel- Helen Turley was very Phenomenal. much uh, one of the creators of, of a certain <clears throat> style of, of, of wine um, in, in, in Napa in the 90s. Which uh, yeah, Parker very, loved. Low, yeah, low production, super ripe, um, uh, fruit. uh, voluptuous, fruit-forward wines. Um, and, and, and this, that, this, so this was my very first appointment in Napa. As I drove up, I drove up from San Francisco that morning, and uh, I had never tasted wine in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I never really tasted wine. I mean, I had drunk it, but uh, and and it was it was quite. You weren't t- up in the morning <laughs> yeah, in the old yeah, days. Yeah, the old you know days, that? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, noon used to be my morning. <laughs> yeah, but um, but I uh, so I went I went up there and um, and and I. I I went to the. I was a little bit early, so I went to the Oakville Grocery. Uh, Still there, great little place, uh, right next to, um, uh, right next to the the facility where Helen was um, had a custom crush um, operation. And, and since I was early, I decided to go and I had a I had a double espresso. And I suddenly, as I, as I was finishing my double espresso, I suddenly remembered that I had been specifically told by. The food editor of Housing Garden not to drink coffee before <laughs> my morning wine tasting. Right. So that's a psalm thing. Too. Yeah, then I was yes. So then I, then I was a little. Then it made me even more nervous. And then, so then I went and met Helen Turley, who's a very daunting figure. Uh, she was taller than me for Flowy one thing. Blonde she's, hair. So, yeah, she's sort of this um, somewhat Amazonian figure. Mm. Um, um, and Good she, description. She was a little. Uh, I don't know. She was a little scared. I mean, she knew exactly who I was. She knew that I was a novelist who had written about cocaine in, in the 80s. And um, I think she just wondered what the hell I was doing there. And so she said to me... Almost a resentment? Like, yeah, what are you doing pos- here? Quite possibly, Maybe? yeah. Okay. So she said, you know, um, so what... Uh, well, at that time, we were, we were just going, supposed to be tasting uh, her Chardonnays. And she said, "So, what uh, what California Chardonnays do you like?" And I, I said, "Well, honestly, I said I don't really drink much California Chardonnay. I said I'm more of a white Burgundy person." Oh boy! And I said, "I said, but there is there. I said there's one that I like. Uh, it's uh, Peter uh, uh, Peter Michael." And I had no fucking idea that she had made those wines for five or six years. And so, <laughs> so suddenly she, she melted a little bit or not. She didn't melt, but she thawed a little bit. And, and so I was deemed worthy of, of tasting the Chardonnays. And, um, which that was totally uh, innocent, how that all I, came out and everything. Yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it was a complete, this guy ain't so bad. complete fluke on my yeah. part. Um, but, um, uh, I tasted these her her Chardonnays, uh, which which then were were not estate grown. They were she was purchasing fruit from the Lorenzo and Gower and Hudson vineyards, um, and and I was I was honestly quite blown away. I mean they're they're, they're so extravagant and they're so rich and Oof. luscious and really. So I just I, I sort of had you know a little epiphany, thinking, hey, this is pretty damn cool. And, um, but stylistically, the, I mean, that style you were okay with that big bold. I didn't look. I didn't. I didn't have any orthodoxy then. I just no. I, I'm not. I, I just liked what I, I liked, get that you know? right. Yeah. But you like that. I that I, wasn't like this I is too unctuous it. or no. It, I, it was impressive. No, at yeah. the time I just sort of felt you know no. Right. It's it's this is you know you can't have too much of a good thing right. and um, it was you know like 
what too much cleavage, you know, that's, yeah. which is basically what those wines Ain't are, happening. are like, right. Um, we'll take it. <laughs> I like cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, but while I was there, uh, because I reacted well to the wines and because I made some comments that apparently weren't completely idiotic, she, she, she asked me if I'd like to taste some reds and she, at that time, was making um, the first vintages of Colgan. That's right. Uh, I think it was called Colgan Schrader then. Uh, and uh, Bryant family. Um, That's right. And, I and t- Martinelli, by the way. And Mar- yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, they, they, the, the, the Martinelli wines were at their own winery. Right. But, but I, so I tasted these two Cabernets, and I was, I was pretty fascinated <laughs> because for young, for young Cabernet, they were surprisingly approachable and, and the tannins were surprisingly soft and and again incredibly rich and ripe and so I was I I was almost there at the birth of this style and yeah. and I wrote about Helen I wrote about uh, the Turley Zinfandels and I then went over and met her brother Larry and and she was at that time making the Turley Zinfandels um, those were very individualistic compared to other yeah. Zins and I also managed to get over and meet Bill Harlan uh uh, Harlan Estate being, you know, perhaps the ultimate of right. the of the cult uh, Cabernets, and he, you know, no nothing he, spared. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have to admit, I was very enthusiastic about these wines, and and I and I wrote about I wrote about them early on, and and I became a, a bit of a partisan, or at least a fan, um, and 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 that was a very distinct moment, the birth the birth of this of this style of wine, and and. Um, you know, we're we're now at a point of history where the pendulum has very much swung the other way, and even, you know, even Harlan is alleged to be dialing their style back, and right. and, and and restraint and balance are now the buzzwords of the day. Whereas, right. uh, you know, ripeness was at that time, ripeness and uh, fruit forward, fr- yeah, uh, yeah, fruit big, and, you know, yeah. Mouth filling, yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, Trumpian superlatives right. were, were the <laughs> Terrific, order, tremendous. the order of the day in the in the nineties, yeah. and, and and now every, now everybody wants to talk right. about how austere and balanced their <laughs> wines so are. Right <laughs> so for you, you went through a period. You had an evolution because you, I guess, you cut your teeth in that, you know time and type of wine and all that. Yeah. But and your also taste remember, evolved. Yeah, but remember I also I I was a fan of Chateauneuf de Pop at that at that time. Right. And, but, and Chateauneuf uh you know uh, if coming from an incredibly warm region, uh Chateauneuf was you know was a very uh rich, powerful wine. Uh, again, a wine much favored by Robert Parker uh, right. and his He's a big Rhone guy. Big big powerful palate. Yeah. Yeah, so so it wasn't I don't know. I, I I didn't have any, um, you know. I, I I didn't have any preconceptions about wine, uh, uh, and, and purity of style, or uh, I, I just I just sort of I just wanted to be blown away, you know. And, uh, well, and, you, and and those wines blew me away. It's fair to say, when you started writing about wine, and respond to the statement, you wrote more as a lover, yeah, than a critic. Yeah, you know, you weren't out there criticizing; you were taken by. It. I, I mean, is know, that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Well, in fact, I, th- I would say it's still the case because I, I have the luxury of of, of writing about what I like. Uh, you know, honestly, you know, if I were a full time journalist, I would have to write about um, lots of wines that I don't really like. But but um, I get to choose my subjects, and uh, I just sort of feel like li- life is too short to talk about how much I hate certain styles of wine. So you have the artistic leeway. So that was one of my questions. I mean, how do you choose your columns? What's your inspiration? So one of the answers was you could sort of do what you want. Yeah. But now answer, now how do you come up with specific ideas? Oh, I mean, I'm mostly from, well, several ways, but um, from my travels. But usually my travels, by the time I get someplace, I already pretty much know where I'm going. Uh, I get a lot of my ideas from sommeliers. You know, um, these guys are in the front lines, and uh, they taste wine every day. And, and here in New York, we have the most incredible community of sommeliers. And when we have for the last 10, 15 years, I mean, it all started back in the got back in the 80s with Daniel Jonas. Restaurants were temples. Chefs became rock stars, and now the new rock stars are psalms. Psalms, yeah. And I, you know, in fact, the the juice is. 
That's your most the juice is wine dedicated book. to about thirty kosher wines, thirty different, thirty different sommeliers uh, who who over that the the years have have ed- helped educate me about wine. So I mean, that's one that's one um, big big source of wine knowledge for me. Was I'm, there an influence, I, an aggregate influence of the sommeliers? Was it the restrained wines? Was it European? Was it new regions? Well. I, I think all of the above. Yeah. Uh, um, I think what, one of the things that's really interesting about Psalm culture is that uh, I, I mentioned Robert Parker back in the back in the eighties. I mean, cult- Parker educated a generation of American wine drinkers, um, and he had a you know, for better or worse, he had a big influence on the way that wines are made around the world. Although he would deny it, I think it's undeniably true. Uh, there has since been. I don't quite want to say a backlash, but um, I think that it's really interesting the way that, uh, as Parker's influence has waned slightly, um, what has filled that uh, that void is, has been, um, I think, uh, basically the sommelier community, and it's it's interesting that you know if if if, if I could caricature the sort of you know the the influence of of, of sommeliers on 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 wine culture. Uh, you know, if Park, Parker loves low acid wines, sommeliers like high acid right. wine. You know, Parker likes ripe wines. Sommeliers tend to like restrained, restrained. wines. I mean, Subtle. basically, this is like you know, uh, we're talking about polar opposites here um and and you know part of that has to do also with the sommeliers usually are thinking about wine as an accompaniment to food right critics like parker and james suckling and 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 straight up review um, uh these these guys are tasting wines you know um without without the context of food and the dining experience and they're you know they're lining they're lining up sometimes 15 or 20 glasses at a time. I, I, look, I do this sometimes myself. Uh, I participate in a but lot of these But you eat tastings. and drink a lot more well, yeah. than, you know, so... I'd much rather I mean, eat you're and drink. pairing, so your yeah, point's but, well taken. But if you, you know, if you taste 20 wines at a time, the one that's going to stand out is going to probably be the, you know, the, the, the big bold one, you know, because you're going to get a little palate right. fatigued at some right. point. And uh, so I, I do think it's, it's very interesting um, well, you, that there's a new generation... Of wine influencers, and that uh, I, I so, want to talk some, about sommeliers, and, and but also you social know, media, social media people with podcasts. It, it's and more so democratized, yeah. Yeah, right? Much, There's more voices, yeah. and 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 it's a great thing. You know, it's hard to believe, but you know, back in back in '96 uh, when I started, there was there was the Wine Spectator, there was Parker. Um, there were a few, you know, there's some English decanter. There were a few English wine there were writers like out there, but, and Tanzers, or but not no, even then. But, but there were smaller that, guys. There, there wasn't that much general interest kind of wine writing, you know, wine writing for people who, who weren't necessarily uh, fanatics, or um, you know, people who didn't necessarily subscribe to a wine-specific publication. Uh, right. And, and, and happily now, that's very far from the case. But now, you look at a Instagram site from a Patrick Capiello yeah. or a Pascaline LaPellet, and yeah, there's discovery, <laughs> there's discovery, you know, not even in a blogger, you know, you see what they're drinking, yeah. you know, Chenin Blanc or whatever. You know, yeah, well, it's, always Th- those guys are big curious voices. to know what Patrick is drinking bes- bes- besides, right. besides Modelo beer. I right. <laughs> right. We're talking to Jay McInerney. Um, what's your take on the natural wine movement? We're in Brooklyn right now. Uh, Where Roberta's. Okay. This I'm, is I'm, you I'm, know this is ground zero. Yeah, for I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be crucified here. I, I, well, no. I, get... <laughs> I mean, I kind of got drawn into it because by doing the yeah. show, you follow right. you know everything going on, and it's a big thing right Theoretically, now. Theoretically, I love the idea of natural wine, but and a lot uh, of what you drink is natural. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 some of the you know uh, some of the greatest winemakers in 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 the world um, are drawn to. To the the the, the um, natural winemaking me- uh, methods and al- and also viticultural uh, uh, viticulturally sound um, practices. Uh, you know, so many of my favorite winemakers are biodynamic, right? Uh, or at the very least, organic. Uh, you know, in in Alsace, in Burgundy, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, most of you know most of the top names are biodynamic. Now I don't really fully understand uh, um, you know the Steiner philosophy and on all the of the ram's horn. All, and yes, the... and, and all of the the solutions that are applied to <laughs> right. the vineyard. But but um, at the very least, I think the people who practice biodynamics are much more involved in the health. Um, of their of their vineyards and uh, much more committed to um, not poisoning us and That's not poisoning thing. their vines. So I'm I'm 100 in favor of that. But I'm alluding um, to like these yeah. orange wines yeah. and these pet nets. Well, no, I That's, love you know I I I love orange. You know I I was I've been a fan of the Italian orange wines for for 25 years. Uh, Nothing new. To but you. but the the only thing that. I worry about is you know people jumping in too quickly to natural winemaking, which is to say, uh, doing away with all preservatives like like SO two and so on. A lot of these wines are bacterially flawed and they taste like shit. And, and there's I an don't, inconsistency. And I too. don't like wine that tastes like shit. <laughs> that, <laughs> so, that's that's a fair point, um, and that's a fair knock. So I do, you know on but, the movement, but but I. And, and, and sometimes when somebody serves me a, a seriously flawed wine and and, and, and espouses its <laughs> natural, natural qualities, yeah. I sort of think, well, yeah, but it doesn't taste good, and and, right. and, and, and I'm not in favor of that. So I, I, I think I really applaud the movement, but 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 some of the you have to have absolutely impeccable winemaking and really careful. Shipping, storage, etc., uh, in order to, keep to it preserve and consistent control right? and, and preserve these wines. That's all. All right, I want to ask you a couple more questions. Then we're going to take a break, mm-hmm. and when we come back, I want to talk. I want to subject you to our wine list. Mm-hmm. What what newer wines in regions are exciting you now? I mean, obviously, in your columns and just your personal taste. You've come across stuff. All right. Well, I mean, I'll tell you too that um, you know my my friends with whom I drink Burgundy are, <laughs> will be surprised by. Uh, but uh, I was in South Africa in November, and uh, I had not been there since uh, 2004. And the progress that they have made in the last 12 years just blew my mind. Uh, it was really um, th- there were. There were some extraordinary, uh, extraordinary wines and uh, and whites and reds. Whites, whites and reds. Uh, honestly, for me, the whites particularly stood Shenons out. Shenons uh, and uh, the really old vine Shenons and and honest and, and honestly, the Chardonnay. They're doing great things with Chardonnays. A variety of styles. I mean, there's everything from you know lean to opulent right. there, depending on. But they're starting to really develop a sense of of, of place and terroir and and a sense of what grows well where. Um, you got another and one for me? I was extremely impressed. Um, I just got back from Washington State, uh, which I, I've never visited wine country there before. And I drank some really exceptional wines there. Um, I think Washington is, is having a bit of a, a struggle establishing an identity. Uh, I agree. We, we were talking about this earlier. And, um, you know, part of the problem is, you know, Na- Napa is Cabernet. Oregon's Pinot. Washington, they don't have a signature grape. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of Riesling there, um, uh, and, and, and some of it quite all, good. All the big names, like Leonetti and Quilceta Creek, they're, they're all the big reds there. Well, right? the big, they make, there's some great reds. I mean, you, know, Quil, um, you mentioned, I did visit Quilceta Creek. You mentioned, um, uh, a, um, you know, Parker just gave them the, like their sixth or seventh oh, yeah. hundred point <laughs> score. I mean, I think that tells you what style of wine it is. Um, I, I the first Washington wine I ever discovered was Leonetti about twenty years ago, and I, I was blown away because Terrific. first of all it was Merlot, right. and secondly it was Washington State. I said, "What the f-? you know? It's, this is hard to believe." Uh, they are still making really good wines. Um, uh, there's also I think Syrah is do, uh, does really does really well in Eastern Washington State, and uh, I had some terrific Syrahs, uh, Cayuse, Cayuse, Rain Van, C-A-Y-U-S-E. Um, a um, lot of um, uh, rain van, rain said. van, R E Y V A N V A A N. It's yeah, it's good. Tip. Um, uh, a, um, 
another one I had, W.H. Vinters. I mean, there, I, there's a lot of really small, produ- exciting small production wines out there. So uh, pay attention the, the, to the that. State, the state is dominated by Chateau Saint-Michel, which produces two million cases of wine. But, you know, it's been a real mothership for the industry. And right. in the same way that, you know, Mondavi drummed up uh, a lot of um, interest and, and publicity right. For, right. for Napa in, 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 in the 60s and 70s. Right. All right. Last Sorry, question. 70s and 80s. Last question before the break. Right. So you've said, I've pegged you saying this a few times, wine can be a stuffy, grown-up, elitist preoccupation. <laughs> True? <laughs> well, well, here's the question. Have you, Jay McInerney, remained a wine populist? Or you can confess now with amnesty, <laughs> have you morphed into a wine elitist? Well, I don't think I'm a wine elitist in the sense that um, um, I... I write about all kinds of wine, and you I do, d- and I drink all kinds of wine. I, I, my palate—that is the answer, my, and that's the fair answer. And the, you're not an elitist, but no. But my palate has changed in the sense that I now, you know, after after 30 years as a wine drinker, I, I have specific tastes um, that describe I, more that, restrained, that, 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 that I would, subtler, I, subtler yeah, wines. I, I, I would not force it on anybody else, but I. You know, I've become a Burgundian uh, more than anything else. Uh, although um, I like, you know, California and Oregon, and even South African wines that conform to this this model of you know balance, um, you know, acid, uh, uh, re- re- restrained fruit. Um, uh, but I do like the. I just. I love the joys. I think Pinot Noir just has a magic like nothing else. It's it, it's a wine. It's a wine for lovers as opposed to thinkers. You know, it's uh, yep. it's 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 a hedonistic wine rather than an intellectual wine. And Bordeaux is very intellectual. If if you know your there's vintages, more hedonism. To if, if you Pinot. know your vintages, if you know your chateau, Bordeaux will always deliver exactly what you expect from it. Almost right. almost exactly. You know, Burgundy is a crapshoot. It's it's like it's like the girl who you know like you know takes you to heaven one night and the next night she slams the face in your it slams the door in your face. I mean, um, it's um, it, it, it's a much less predictable, but but I yes. think for that reason more exciting, more exciting. One. I agree with and, you. Um, but 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 at the same time, I depending on where I am, I will. You know, when, I, mean, when I, I spent four days in Washington, I drank nothing but Washington right. wines, and I was really happy about it. You immerse and yourself into, when, you know, that particular... When I'm in Napa and Sonoma, that's what right. I drink, and I, and I end up that. discovering great things. All right, we're going to take a quick break. My guest is Jay McInerney, famous novelist, wine writer, columnist, podcaster. <laughs> we'll be right back. You're listening to The Grape Nation. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. All right, we're back. You're listening to The Grape Nation. My guest is Jay McInerney. I want to subject Jay to our weekly wine list. <laughs> Jay, this is a bunch of questions. Yep. Don't be too long-winded because right. I want to get through them all. I'll be short. But it's about your tastes and everything. Right. So what are you drinking now? What's Jay McInerney drinking now? What's your current obsession? You may have answered it. But be, well, well, right. It's 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 August right now, right? And, and I that's am, all I'm concerned well, about is um, now. To tell you the truth, uh, it's the middle of August, and I'm really sick of rosé. So uh, okay, you know, I, I, I for many many years I espoused the virtues of rosé, and 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 people laughed at me. Um, 
Uh, now there's three you know. books this summer. <laughs> John Bonet just wrote another column and punch yeah. about and, it. And you, and, you know, know and um, Whispering Angel, like, you know, took over from Domain Ott and just went crazy That's with right. the category. And and now there are rosé shortages in the Hamptons and panic. There's panic in the Hamptons. But but what, <laughs> um, but what, I, what, what I love in the summer, honestly, is um, I like... Um, Chablis is 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 a special passion of mine in the summer. It's so light and flinty. Does and, it have to be and, fancy and or I hate, any? I hate to. Well, honestly, you know, I had a you drink um, petite Chablis. At I, all? We had a big cocktail party uh, at our house for a um, for a benefit, uh, and I served uh, Jean Michel Brocard uh, 2015 Village Chablis, and it was just drank well, terrific, uh, particularly in that vintage because it's very ripe okay. vintage and. You know, Shibley obviously goes lean, but um, uh, I also, honestly, I hate to anticipate anything you might have planned in the future, but I, I, I'm a big fan of Austrian Riesling. Okay, and, um, we'll get to that. Yep. All right, so done well. Favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something that you go back to, stands out? Wow. You ooh-ah when you do it? Well, you know... I mean, there's, there's of course, the Chablis and Oysters pairing, right. which, is, which, is, the, which is, is one of the classics. Uh, you know, there's champagne in almost anything. Fried chicken, <laughs> pizza, right? Yeah. Good ones. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, stay. I, I have to say, uh, I, I didn't mention in my last question, but champagne is the answer to many, many, many questions. Uh, underappreciated and, and for, one. First of all, I, oh, I always start the night with a glass of champagne. And, but sometimes it's 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 right to keep going, you know. Yes. And the idea of champagne as a celebratory beverage is, you know, I mean, it, we talk about that on the show all the time. Should be should, should underappreciated. Be, should be opened every night. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, so, the to decipher that answer, a little Chablis, champagne. Um, oh, Chablis. Oh, yeah, or she, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I like champagne and caviar just just because I love it whenever I get a chance to eat caviar. <laughs> there you go. All right. So this question, it's usually New York, but go any direction you want. Mm-hmm. Give me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. Restaurants where the attention service lists towards wine are, you know, way above others. New York, Hamptons. Uh, um, abroad, I mean, what places? You know, we you talked about sommeliers earlier. Yeah. That makes part well, of what I would mean. say. Um, Charlie Bird in Manhattan, Robert uh, Bohr. I I love the fact, and 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 Pasquale Jones as well. I love the fact that Charlie Bird, someone like me, can go sit at the bar, and I want to have a red, and I want to have a white, and I can order a half a bottle of any white wine on the list, and and they'll. They'll open it and serve me half the bottle, and then I have a half bottle of red. And if I'm so feeling, it, and that, if I, that in itself is yeah. a great, but thing. but man, it's an incredibly well curated list, yes. uh, and it skews towards some of my favorite regions, like 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 uh, Burgundy, Northern Rhone, and Piedmont. So um, anything lo- else? Love Charlie Bird. I think that uh, Rebel uh, has an incredible, um, great food wine list. Great food. You know, if you're lucky, Patrick Capiello's there, which right. is always a bonus. Um, um, you know, on the um, on the higher end, I mean, we're we're very fortunate in New York to have restaurants like Laburnin and Danielle. That Incredible. I mean, you know, if you if you know if you if you have the money money to splurge, um, those are two extraordinarily well curated uh, wine lists. I, and, I agree. Um, um, All good answers. Yeah. Stop there. Jay McInerney's favorite all-time wine. Can you um, narrow it to one, or give me a couple? I'll give you life-changing. Two. I'll give you two. Uh, 1955 La Mission Aubryon, and uh, it's your birth year. And it's my birth year. That's why. That's why I'm Before. familiar with it. You used to be, you know, 55 used to be a real. Um, relatively unknown vintage because it was very apparently it was very nasty in its youth i mean it was one of those wines that took a long time one of those vintages that took a long time to come around um i i i i once could buy that wine for like 200 bucks a bottle um <laughs> unfortunately those days are gone but but um and the other one would be 1962 latash um which i have only been fortunate enough to drink uh two or three times in my life but that's uh, it 
But one of them, one of them was just uh, three months ago. Uh, and blew Mr. My mind. Fancy Pants Chevalier, like you, doesn't get exposed to that. That's more? a very, That's a tough one, very right? hard one to find. If you if you if you know where some is, All tell right, me. So, yeah. so here's my next question: What's harder, finding that Romany Conti or marriage? <laughs> Which one's harder for you? Finding finding 1945 Romani Conti is, is, is harder than is the hardest is the hardest thing of all. So you're but, saying uh, marriage is easy? Well, I don't know. I've, I, I, either I'm really good at it or really bad at it because I've I've, okay. I've done it four times. All right, <laughs> fair enough answer. Very revealing. Thank you for that. A um, couple more questions. I, I usually ask this to other guests. It's not that it's inappropriate to you, but mm. I ask because I have a lot of psalms in here. Mm, and, yeah. you know, my kids are in their mid-late 20s. Mm. So I say, tell me the best wines that you could buy out there for around 15 bucks, red and white. Mm. Do you ever, like the Brocard, how much was that? That was about 16, 17 right. bucks. So uh, I'll give you that, you know, right there. There's a perfect one. Um, what about, you ever grab a cheap red? Well, I think, um, you know, I think, um, I, I think you can get some very decent Zinfandel for around that price. I mean, the, the Ridge Zinfandels clock in a little higher yeah, than that. Yeah, 30, but, 40. Uh, but you can go. Um, you know, but, 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 but Zin, Zin is a great place for value. Um, and it, it, you know, it's such a rich... Um, I agree. Great uh, barbecue, summer wine, yeah. meat. Now, uh, here's another one. Cote, Cote de Rhone, either red or white. It's just for 15, 15 bucks, 17, 18 You can bucks. get amazing ones. First of all, from like big, big producers like Gigo. Um, which are consistently good, but but also you can get these you know these, these smaller producers who make Chateauneuf de Pop or who make Saint Joseph, um, uh, and and for fifteen dollars, that's probably the best place for value. I, I agree. The Rhone offers the, the best values for that type of wine. All right, last question. Chile too. Chile, Malbacs. Yeah. Chile, uh, no, oh, no, no, that's Argentina. Argentina. Yeah. yeah, in Chile. Gar- yeah, and Carmeniers, and you know, um, there are some very good, you know, Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc for 15 bucks. People usually leave out Argentina and Chile, but that's mm. a great value yeah. red wine. All right, last question, mm-hmm. and then we'll move to our weekly wine sip. Do you have a wine accomplishment? Is there something you've done that. <laughs> Like, but was it right? Did you you got a James Beard Award for one of your books, right? Yeah, that's yeah. an accomplishment. You became a Chevalier. Became a Chevalier. Did, yeah, I guess right? that's a bit of an accomplishment. I mean, do you see so, anything else? I was well, yeah. So I, I, years ago, I was inducted into the. Uh, I was I made some sort of Chevalier of Cahors, which I <laughs> the region of Cahors, C A H O R, which nobody knows where nobody that knows is. About. That's the point of this show is to educate people. It, so I, one day people go, "Hey, Jay Magner," and he is I have like, actually a, I have actually visited Cahors and written about it, which is why they gave me a medal. But um, because they, they were good it, value wines, because there they, too. They, they don't get a lot of attention. But right, it, maybe it, this guy will show up. It, it is <laughs> it is in fact that it's the homeland of Malbec, which we just right. mentioned. And that's right. That's where it came from. And and for many years their their wines were 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 on a you know, judged on a par with with Bordeaux. Uh, now right. now very much not eclipsed, of course. Right, yeah. not for a long time. Yeah. All right. All good answers. We're gonna post those answers on our social media. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Okay. All right, Jay, we're gonna move to our last segment. It's called the weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. Gives me a chance to drink wine. Gives me a chance to share it with great people like you. Good. So for our weekly wine sip this week, we're going to taste the 2012 Schloss, S-C-H-L-O-S-S, Goebelsberg, G-O-B-E-L-S-B-U-R-G, Riesling yep. Tradition. Yep. Tradition is one of the Rieslings they make. They make it in the old style, which is why it's called Tradition. It's from the Kamtal region yeah. of Austria. People associate Riesling with Germany, but Austria is making some pretty rotten oh, stuff. It's, our, Austri- Austrian Rieslings are sensational. I think. So just one last thing. The wine retails for about 45 50 bucks. This wine's worth about that. Current vintages are about the same. You can find this stuff at better wine stores. It's not that hard. So what else can you tell me? From your travels about Riesling, Austria. Specifically. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about Austrian Rieslings is they tend to be uh, they tend to be drier than than the average. Uh, yes, uh, wines from Naha or, or, or the Moselle. 
Um, they tend to be fuller bodied uh, because we've got a little more in, in, in Kamtal and other um, growing regions. We, we, we have longer growing seasons, more warmth. Um, uh, they tend to be you know, fermented till they're dry. Um, this this one is very interesting. So let's throw it over the tongue. Let's yeah. visually, we notice. First, first of all, this one is interesting because you, Deep. it comes in a burgundy bottle, which right. is very unusual. Right. Which I think might be some kind of statement because it's, and also the color is extremely rich and golden. Golden. Which makes me think that there must be barriques, uh, um, uh, oak barrels involved in the fermentation, perhaps. Um, and all right, well, let's go nose. Mm. Yeah, it's got a kind of bur- Burgundian nose. For sure, you know? for a Riesling, right? For I mean, that's why I brought it in, because, yeah. you know, I'm no dummy. I knew but, you were a Burgundian guy. I didn't but, want to bring in a Burgundy. But once you get, yeah, once you get into it, um, it has, it's interesting, it has a kind of apple cider fruit to it, I there's think. There's an apple cider fruit. There's a tiny and there's bit a lot of, of And there's a lot of acidity, which is what we tend to look, look for in Riesling. There's um, a little mint and herb to me, too. This is why sommeliers like Riesling so much, is because of the acid. Because all sommeliers are acid freaks. It's their favorite wine. <laughs> you know, I still can't figure out whether, you know, the rosé revolution happened. Right. Um, but I still can't figure out. I, I just don't think the country is, has ever been converted to Riesling. And I try to turn people mm. on, and it's just too sweet for people, even if I get the cabinets mm. and the dry stuff. But this is why Austrian Riesling is so valuable. So let's because talk mouth. It's never, ever sweet. Well, not never sweet, but hardly ever sweet. Right. So mouthfeel, it's a big mouth-feeling really? wine. This is a very... God, this texture has got a great texture. It's, it's much fuller-bodied. It's much more viscous than the average Riesling. Um, I would, you know, I'd say it's relatively late picked. Uh, you know, probably barrel fermented. Um, All right, let's do um, palate. We did nose, mouth, feel. What are you tasting? Well, as I said, I'm getting apples. I'm getting, uh, uh, you know, it's a very elusive term, but you know, good acidity. Certain, you said. There's a certain minerality, and underneath right. that's um, stone fruit. A quality, yes, stone fruit. So a little, uh, yeah, maybe a, a little barely, yeah, a, l- a little bit of apricot, maybe. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, two last questions. What's a good wine and food pairing for this wine? Wow, let's see. I mean, um, you know, I could I could actually imagine it with one of those pizzas out here since okay. we're, we're, we're at Roberta. All Robert, right, so this Robert would hold up to that pizza. The acidity, the, yeah, the big like a little. You know, um, I mean, obviously, any kind of any kind of uh, white fish. All right, I'll give uh, you a sippy stri- cup when stri- you leave. Striped bass, which is what we yes. have at, right now out in Long Island, Running or, uh, or uh, tile fish. You okay. know, with some some sort of lighter sauce. Uh, you know, this is. Um, I don't know. I I I almost think it's. I I think it may be rich enough to go with like you know lobster. Or, um, I think so. so. Yeah, I think it'd hold up. All right. So, do we like this wine? I love it. Yeah, it's a it's a very good I think wine. It's right? terrific wine. Yeah. 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 Okay. Real, right, so no, that it's a, it's a beautiful reason. That's the 2012 Schloss Goldelsberg Riesling tradition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Later vintages are available. It's obviously showing a yeah. nice. Yeah. This is bondage. not. This is not an anorexic Riesling. This is no. This is more of a vavavoom Riesling. That's the metaphor, Jay. <laughs> All right. That's the novelist in Jay. All right, Jay. We're going to wrap this show up. Um, if you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Um, we'll post Jay's wine list answers. We'll post the weekly wine sip and our take on it. Um, follow us on Instagram at sbenruby, Twitter at benruby. And also, or, or, or me at, at Wait, Jay I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'm not going to leave you. Check out our new website, www.thegrapenation.com. That's www.com, thegrapenation.com. Um, I, I put one.com in there. All right. Now, Jay, where can we? I want to talk about your current book and where we can find you on social media. Uh, so on social media. Social media, I'm at Jay McInerney on Twitter and, and Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a Facebook page. Also, you, and Jay has a um, web page, which is... Oh, yeah, and I have a website. Pretty... The website's... It's, it's the good. The website's kind of fun. It's, it's very good. It's it, up to date. It's pretty, inve- it's it's pretty inventive. Yeah. yeah, I like it a lot. Um, and I have a, a, you know, my, my new paperback, Bright Precious Days. And, and, and then and the, is, the, the, the juice uh, is out in paperback, my latest uh, wine book. 
Right. Jay has three wine books. Bookstores near you. If, if, if you Amazon. still have an independent bookstore near you, which I hope you do. Yes. Um, all right. So you can follow Jay at all those places. I want to thank my guest, Jay McInerney. Um, for coming in and taking time out of a busy summer. And I think you said you're <laughs> off to Europe not too far from now, right? I'm, yeah, I'm off to Italy now. Italy. So it should be okay. fun. Yeah. Always fun. I want to thank our engineer, David Tatashore, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Great Nation. Thank you. <laughs> listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.